Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. But what if we challenge ourselves to go back, look where we are now, and where we want to be? That is why we exist. To focus more on different perspectives. The way we analyze film with respect to the lens in which stories are told. In search of authentic diversity while still keeping the emotional connection. Because every movie makes us feel something. Yo, yo, yo. What's up, listeners? We are back. Feeling film. Black Label is here to get it <laughs> cracking. How you feeling? We are here to talk about everything in the realm of people of color, media, film, and everything in between. What's good, Kales? What it do? And we got E-Man representing the other side of the country. Hi. And then there's, you know, Kobe McAttack. He's here too. Yo, yo, yo. <laughs> what up, Feeling Phil? This is the Black Label, and that was Aaron Hundley doing the damn thing. You know what's great about this podcast? There's no rules. Aaron and Patch, they messed up. The only rule they gave us is that we can't cuss, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Shut the front door. <laughs> Yo, this is just a really good time. Thanks so much for coming back. I hope you guys enjoyed the intro episode because it was damn sure fun for the four of us. And we are back for the next four weeks. This is a film critics roundtable, Slother Culture. And I hope you guys are excited because I know we are. And we're just going to dive right in to um to kind of kick off like what we hope to gain out of this conversation um ultimately i think that we have many different perspectives on film we all write and talk about the movies that we love we spend some time introducing ourselves and where that love kind of came from and spawned from and i think we've all got goals for what this podcast brings and we ultimately want the audience to be a part of it too this is not ours this is all of ours. And um, yo, please, not only like, subscribe, comment, and share this episode, but talk about it with us. I think the engagement was pretty dope on the introduction episode, I would say, right? Most stuff. Very good. Dope. Aside from my audio, which I'm hoping is coming through loud and clear this time, I'll definitely put my theater background and project more. Yes. So, yo, um, I, I, what I would love to do is kind of get an idea. Yo, what have y'all been watching? Lately, I have been revisiting the world of 90s cop slash FBI agent style movies, and I've been loving it. I introduced my boyfriend to Along Came a Spider, and he introduced me to Primal Fear last night. So we're throwing it back lately, just because I haven't had a ton of time just to go to, to go to screeners between work and moving and everything like that. So we're kind of just cruising our streaming options right now and trying to, to catch things up and, you know... I'm always down for a good Morgan Freeman film, so I was like, you have to watch Along Came a Spider. I'd never heard of Primal Fear before, and I'm, I love Edward Norton, and it was awesome. I'm not gonna lie, the twist was slightly predictable, but Edward Norton performed that role beautifully. Like, the whole film was very, very well done. So that's what I've been up to. Um, for me, it's been like a melting pot of, um, new films late 90s action and some 2018 2019 um blind spots that I didn't get to see um last night I finally got to see fighting with my family with the amazing Florence Pug and it was amazing um 
before I had like some little stereotypes and some ignorant thoughts about wrestling, considering it was, I consider it kind of fake, not something that's like for like men, for like men childs and everything like that. But that film really changed my whole perspective on wrestling. And now I have, I will have nothing more bad to say about wrestling. It was a phenomenally well done film, a great balance of comedy and drama. And mostly from now from here on out this year, I've been trying to really focus on a lot of first time watches and not rewatches. So. That's what I've been up to. Wait, you ain't grow up a wrestling kid? Wait, I, can we just okay. talk about the fact that he called her Florence Pug? Nobody is going to let it go. It's Pew. <laughs> Pew. Florence Pew. Okay, Florence Pew. I'll, if she hears this, forgive maybe me. Maybe she has a pug. Maybe she, has a, maybe she loves that dog. I don't know. The <laughs> listeners would jump on that, so it's better we correct it now. Yeah. No, but as as far as wrestling, I did. I, I will admit, I did watch some wrestling. I did watch some wrestling when I was a kid, but only because my other friends were into it, and they had the Nintendo sixty four WWE Raw games, and I would play that. But once I grew up, I just lost in touch with it, you know. So <laughs> once I grew up, <laughs> oh if you out there still watch wrestling, you are in no way a man or woman child. That is not what the lesson is <laughs> insinuating. <laughs> I don't mean no harm. I come in peace. <laughs> you, better, you better be careful, bro. The WWEers, they are they're they're a real audience. All right. <laughs> well, uh I know one thing I started doing. Um I started watching uh I got a screener for a documentary on HBO. I don't know if it's out yet or not. It's the McMillions or something like that. Exactly. It, it's basically yeah, it, it's yeah, that yeah. that's it's a six part documentary. I'm like three episodes in, but it's a six part documentary on like the Monopoly game and like the huge, ridiculous scandal that happened. And uh, I mean, look, so far it was pretty intriguing. Um, it is kind of starting to slow down a little bit. Like after the first episode, you're like, yo, that was crazy. Second episode, you're like, wow, I had no idea this was this deep. Third episode, I'm like, this is still going. Oh my God. <laughs> you know, so I don't even know what the third, the fourth, fifth and sixth episode have in store, but so far so good. Um, and, uh, and I just walked out of birds of prey. Um, that was pretty decent. It's, it's not the best, but it is a, um, it's a good shot. It's a good shot for DC. I don't think it was an L that a lot of people were kind of anticipating. Um, you know, it's basically Deadpool light with women. So isn't uh, that, isn't that all the, the, the movies now? <laughs> Deadpool light? Wait, no, why no. Is it, why is it necessarily light? Why is it just not? Because Deadpool it's not, movement? it's not as hardcore rated R as Deadpool would be. So it's, it's, it is a rated R, but it's not a hard R. Um, and when I say Deadpool light, I'm so talking it's like about rated. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's, so it's like, it's like, it's rated like purring cat instead of yeah. pirate. So with with like, lowercase R instead of R. Yeah. <laughs> so, it, but, but I say that only because it's literally the same style. Like she narrates just like Deadpool. She kind of, sort of breaks the fourth wall, just like Deadpool. You know, the violence and stuff is just like Deadpool. Yeah. So, it's, you know, this is what comics tend to do in the past. Anyway, they just borrow from one another. So, um, but the movie's fine. It was cool. Um, it was enjoyable, you know, um, and it should, <laughs> should be, uh, should do all right. It's interesting. I, I, I feel on Twitter, there's a lot of men that are walking on eggshells on how they talk about birds of prey. 
Why? Only because oh well, there. So I don't know who this guy was, but this this guy like the past week he's made some like very kind of ignorant comments about how poor Birds of Prey would do because of uh, the lack of sexuality that yeah. has been on display I in saw the trailers. That. I so saw I, that. I, I felt like a lot of the a, a lot of the comments I've seen of people that had recently watched the film. It seemed like they all sounded the same. So I was wondering mm-hmm. people were like kind of tiptoeing to say, hey, listen, I don't want to look like that guy. Mm-hmm. right? So I'm going to go out of my way to like laud praise at the film and may not give it like my real thoughts. And mm-hmm. me personally, as a critic, I don't ever want to be that guy. One, no. I want to be the guy that's making yeah. inappropriate, ingrid comments about a film that I haven't seen yet. But I also don't want to put my critical ethics like in question because I'm afraid of what I'm going to look like or sound like to somebody else, then I'm going to compromise my view on art. I'm not down with that. I mean, well, if you can't talk about a movie, woman, oh, go ahead, go ahead. So, just ahead. as a woman, <laughs> let me just let me just pop on in here. I think that the real root of this is self-awareness, and you truly need to analyze why you are feeling certain things about a film. And I think that there are a lot of things like if people are purely viewing a movie and think that any woman that's in this movie is here to be a sex object, then yes, you are going to be super disappointed if a film does not have as much skin or butt or goodness knows what showing period. Like you, you truly have to analyze why you are either heading in like, and I think the biggest thing is actually viewing, like sitting down with yourself before you see a movie and say, what expectations am I bringing into this film? And why do I have those? And I think that's the healthiest way that you can approach a critique is if you've had that self-awareness before viewing the movie. And as you're writing it, questioning why you have the judgments that you do like my biggest pet peeve with captain marvel because i wanted to love it so so much but i felt that they made it a softer take my biggest pet peeve was that they focus on a much more feminine emotional take of the movie instead of just making another iron man or thor or avengers movie but with a female lead which is what i loved about wonder woman is i did not feel like i was just watching a chick flick in a superhero costume i didn't i didn't want that underlying i just want to be a nurturer and a mother and don't get me wrong like there is nothing wrong with those qualities but that's not generally what i look for or what a lot of audience members look for in a superhero movie i don't think there's anything wrong with including it that's why i didn't mind with um wonder woman her impassioned speech about how love conquers all there's nothing wrong with including that because generally speaking women tend to be more nurturing than men not saying anything against men it's not saying anything for women but you still have to analyze, like I still sat there and was like, do I really hate this movie or do I really dislike this quality? Or is it just because I feel like I'm being pandered to as a woman because I'm used mm-hmm. to being pandered to as a woman? Or, you know what I mean? Like you really have to do a lot of internalizing on these things. And I think I made a comment on somebody's post the other day about oh, like hypersexualization. And when people say that they have a certain type that they like to see in movies or why they think somebody looks prettier one way or another, I believe it was, I can't remember somebody who posted something. And I said, you actually need to look at what so like what society has told you is beautiful for your entire life. The fact that that actually may be why you think a certain body type or hair color is prettier than others is because 
you've been indoctrinated or you've been conditioned your whole life to see these things as beautiful. So I just think that when you approach critiquing, or even if you're not a critic and you just want to go see a movie and you, you're left with a sour taste in your mouth, or you've been reading reviews online and you let that kind of taint your view of a film before you see it, try to try to wash those away or at least acknowledge why you're feeling that way and then do the same afterward. And I think that that's where, that's where you don't put your critic hat or your, your work of art on the line by being self-aware and introspective. And even in, I've even included stuff like that in my reviews as recognizing that I am a human being. I do come into the world with biases, but here's how I set those aside and viewed this piece of art. Preach can I, sister can, Aaron. Can I jump on that? So like, um, that's a great point, especially about what, movies have conditioned us to believe i mean i've i've said this on other podcasts and in in general just especially when it comes to like females in action or comic book genre movies you know we have these stereotypes where we just think this is what a badass woman is supposed to be and if she doesn't fit the sarah connor or Ripley, you know, from Aliens mold, she's not strong enough, she's not superior enough, or whatever, and it's like, we leave little to no room for different facets of what a strong female archetype should or could be, because they do come in different ways, they don't have to beat everybody up and, you know, chuck like a huge MK-45, you know, to solidify themselves, Um, but also, I kind of also, you know, especially with the birds of prey thing, um, going back to what Kobe was talking about earlier, like one thing I noticed in this movie was that 99.9% of the men, especially the men with speaking roles are all painted in a negative light. Like they're all bad guys, right? They just, they just do bad things or they're (laughs) just not cool or something right now. I'm I'm only saying that because I'm not going to be surprised if you start seeing certain people online harping on that, right? And you could say the same thing about women in like Bond movies. Totally, like totally for a specific mm-hmm. purpose. Totally, Nobody and, ever and, says anything about that. No, and I wanted to jump on your very point, Aaron. Like that because of that, I noticed it, but I stopped and I thought about it, and I was like. Is this actually something that needs to be in my review? And if it's in my review, what does it actually say about the movie? And honestly, it has nothing to say about the movie because it's not pertinent to the actual plot. It doesn't do anything for the characters. It just so happens to be there. And yes, I might have noticed it, but again, it didn't inform anything with the film. So it, it it's it's the reason why I'm bringing that up is because I notice a lot of times we see people going into a movie, not just with a certain expectation, but with a certain level of bias where if they see a quote unquote agenda, I know that's a scary word for some people, then all of a sudden, if that agenda is not something that gels with you, the movie is therefore bad. And that's something that I really think that we need to kind of challenge when we're doing that little, you know, that that self-reflection. If I go watch a movie about, let's just say, abortion, whether I'm for abortion or not, the quality of the movie is going to be something very different than my personal feelings about it. And that's something that I think we do kind of have to, like, just kind of step away and understand the difference. You're entitled to your opinion, of course, 
But just because the movie does something different than your certain taste, it doesn't necessarily make the movie bad. And that's, I, I just kind of want to put that out there because I think we get too much of that now with all the, the tribalism that's going on. And it's, it's just not good for movies in general. I think that my yeah. favorite thing that I saw this week, sorry, just my absolute favorite thing that I saw on Twitter was somebody posted a GIF from Birds of Prey. And this literally was what we as women have been asking for for a long time is oh, our realistic, realistic moments in movies. <laughs> and every single time I watch an action sequence and somebody's hair is down, I'm like, that's not practical. Why are you wearing high heels into that fight? Run through the jungle and you're like, it's just not practical. And so I saw that, that gif of her handing her, her the hair. And I have to, I did honestly, I had very little interest in seeing this movie. And after I saw that, I was like, I have to, because that, that tells me there will, go, there are going to be far more female centric moments in that film that I will guess 85% of men will not pick up on. And if they do, they're married and they've seen their partner pick up on those I, things. Yeah. I'll, I'll attest to that. Cause I saw the hair thing in the movie and I didn't know about that. Jeff. I saw that and I was like, Hmm, that makes sense. Okay. I'm, I'm fine with it. You're one of those people that says Jeff. <laughs> yeah, Kobe, I wanted to kind of jump in on the same thing as far as the Birds of Prey controversy, because I saw the tweet myself. And I mean, honestly, when I see things like that, like on Twitter or any social media sites, it says more about the person who's tweeting about it than the movie itself. Like, I wonder what these people are really trying to accomplish when they come out and say these loaded terms such as like social justice warrior or why do the what? Why is this a female-led centric film? Like, why are these males all bad? And it's like, haven't we seen the same film where, like, there's a bunch of males and then there's the women that's in the middle and they're kind of sexualized and everything like that. And, you know, they get their little moments here and there, but it's mostly male-dominated films. And it's like, what's wrong with having a female style film i mean for me when i when i grew up i grew up by raised by a bunch of women so it kind of influences the way that i think about how women are portrayed in society not just in film but in just in areas like an economical sense and even as far as like you know homeowners and everything like that but i ran into a situation when i reviewed black christmas that came out last year and it was a terrible film, um, Barton, uh, but I saw that. I, I think, I think I, I think I saw that. <laughs> you it was very bad. Up in that. See, when I did my review, what I tried to do is that I knew, I knew that there was going to be someone out there that was going to read my review and take it that I was forming an indictment on that it was women in the film and that they were, that they were heroines and that like all the men were bad and that they were going to form on thinking that I was being just hard on it because of that. But I put in there is that. I just didn't like the way the film portrayed and was overbearing in its message about toxic masculinity. Like we all know about toxic masculinity and I have no problems with that being shown in the film, but the way that they implemented it in black Christmas was just so like crudely done and it was overbearing and the jump scares were obvious and the acting was bad. And I put all that in my review. And so then I get a young woman. I won't say her name. She shared my, she shared my review and she said that I didn't get the message of the film just because I gave it a bad rating, but she didn't fail to realize that I, if she had read my full review, I had put in other films that dealt with the, with the good, with the good telling aspects of what it is to be a female, like Carrie or like it follows or like films, like even like hereditary. And the thing is, as a critic, what I try to do is that 
any sort of biases preconceived or any kind of ideology I may have for something, I immediately try to erase that all in my head. I go in with a clean slate. I try to look at a film and base it on the product that it gives me, not based on what I want it to do. We all have our certain anticipation levels, like our certain wants that we want from a film. Like, oh, I want it to do this. I want it to do that based on maybe a director or an actor. But I come in only looking just based on the filmmaking aspect, not for what a character looks like, not if they're sexy enough, if they're oozing this kind of sex appeal, if they're forming this kind of agenda. I don't look for any of that. And that's a lot of things that we're missing in this current era. In this current era now, you can't do anything without someone coming out of the woodwork saying, oh, you're trying to push something. Oh, you're trying to do this and do that. And it's very frustrating. <laughs> no, I feel you, man. It's 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 tough. I, I think the human in us, unfortunately, as much as we try to say, yo, I'm going to check my bias at the door before I do anything in life or, I mean, in, in relevance to this podcast, before we watch a film – it's hard because ultimately, like what you were kind of alluding to, E-Man, we've been taught the way how we interpret film. There's been rules that have been established almost 100 years ago on the way that characters are built, you know, the way that stories are broken down. Ultimately, what is allowed to be put on screen and what matters to us on screen. Um, lens matters, like what you were alluding to as well, Aaron. Um authenticity matters and the thing is that one we as an audience we are maturing to be much more acute when something feels off we're much more vocal about it in this generation as where generations before us we kind of allowed things to kind of go because that's just the way things were um i, I can't wait to watch birds of prey so i can be able to hop into the conversation but i think whether it's Birds of Prey, whether it's Black Panther, whether it's Captain Marvel or Wonder Woman or a lot of the films that we go to watch, it's it's tough. You know, um, some people are better at it than others. I try to think that I'm fairly good at compartmentalizing to say, all right, even though I've been taught since I was a little kid, this is how a female superhero is supposed to be. And what I don't want to do is think that one – my take is absolute just because it's not the way that I was taught that it was supposed to be doesn't make it bad. I can't stand those takes. Oh, well, it didn't do this. So it's bad. No, it did it. And it's different. You cannot like it, but I think as a critic, like one, I'm fairly, I'm fairly good at saying, while this didn't work for me, I completely understand if it worked for other people. I don't hear that enough from a lot of critics. And I think there's a fear of one uncomfortability and thinking that you're wrong in your take. I revel in the fact that I'm probably wrong in a lot of my takes because ultimately I'm not the only person that has that take, but I can never be wrong in my take. If you understand what I mean, like it's my take, but if you have, if you see it differently, great, that's your perspective. Let's talk about it in a healthy way. Right. And when I was thinking back to stuff that I was watching this past week, um, there's this new Netflix series. Well, not new. Actually, I don't know. It says 2018. Netflix is weird, right? It'll say like 2018, 2019. It's the first time I've seen it. It's new to me now streaming on Netflix. And it's called, uh, they've got, they've, they've, they've got to have us. Um, it's this six, it's this docuseries, um, pretty much chronicling black cinema on film, on TV, some of the greats, John Singleton, Spike Lee and stuff like that. 
and even going back even further before that, right? Cindy Portier, Harry Belafonte, and stuff like that, and how lens and the way that we are taught cinema, it had to change, and it takes a very, very long time. And I still think that we're all in that learning process, right? The way that films right now, there we, I think there's a starvation for different voices to be heard and to be seen on the big screen. We're tired of seeing those same films. When Jordan Peele, which I guess it was a controversial statement, he said, hey, I'm tired of seeing that movie. And he got a lot of crap for it, right? I got what he meant, right? I think we're all tired. We want to see more. So we're challenging these films to do more, right? If you're going to give me a birds of prey and you're going to do something different, like, all right, I want to know who's behind the camera. Who's directing? Who's writing? So I looked up, yo, the, the there's a female writer on Birds of Prey. So E-Man, you know, says, hey, there's a possibility. It seems like every male character is bad. Now, I'm interested. I'm going to be looking out for that take, like, to kind of take, to kind of see, all right, is it truly bad? Like, and then what's the goal of that, right? And then kind of see, like, how it works on me and stuff, right? And I feel like we should give that same credit and, like, like you were saying, Aaron, there's a lot of people that seem like, I don't want to say you have to work hard to try to like, you know, go in and let a film win you over, but you got to be open to let a film win you over. I think a lot of people are. And I think that that that's something also like you have to set your pride aside also and be willing to admit when you've been wrong. It killed me, but I admitted to my partner that I was wrong about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and that upon second viewing, I enjoyed it more than I did the first do I think it's the most amazing film in the world and deserves every award? Heck no. My goodness, no. But the first time I watched it, part of me went in with the already semi-negative feelings that I have toward Tarantino. And that isn't, that is for another podcast where we can talk about his just discussion of I can tell white characters to use the N word and it's perfectly fine because it's just part of the story. Spike, Spike Lee did that too. Spike a Lee little different you. than when Spike Lee does it and Quentin ah, Tarantino does it. But again, true, 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 true. <laughs> another time. Man, I wish that y'all could see the facial expressions that are happening on this Skype chat right now. You're just going to have to go video one day. <laughs> yeah, we got to do video. Like, cool. for me, like, it, it is a pride thing. And I think that a lot of that, like I said, with Captain Marvel, I still enjoyed the film. But what what wasn't sitting well with me, I had to reckon within myself. And there are mm-hmm. other people that absolutely loved it. And that was perfectly fine. Like, I do not hold something against people that liked something that I didn't. So the beauty of that is art is that it's completely subjective. So what you go into or carry with you in the theater and what you come out of the theater with is entirely on you. But I think that we do really have to analyze those things where women are sexual objects or men are always in the power position because that also plays into black tropes that are in theaters mm. and that, are in, that we consistently come up against is – how many times have we seen a movie about slaves? How many times have we seen a movie about a really, really like ridiculously white character that all of a sudden realizes the error of his ways when he gets his one black friend and all of a sudden all <laughs> the people in the movie forgive him for all the terrible things that he's done. Like we've all seen those movies. And unfortunately why people love those movies because it absolves them of any wrongdoing or racist notion that they may have had because they're like, you know what? Black people are people. I see that now. Thank you. See, you Thank see? you. And this is what I was trying to talk about before. 
in terms of how films are more than just a piece of entertainment. 100%. One way or another. You on the world. They, they inform people. Unfortunately, they, they can inform people. So if you happen to live in an area, let's say that have no, let's say Hispanic people, no Hispanic neighbors. And the only thing you see in movies are, you know, Hispanic people being gangsters or people in and out of jail or whatever. It's not going to be so hard to accept the idea that immigrants are taking over and they're trying to kill us and they're rapists and killers. So it's kind of like, we have to pay attention to these type of tropes. And my goodness, the black tropes, that's a whole th- another thing in itself. I mean, I know What's some th- of the worst tropes that you would uh, kind of uh, associate to black cinema. I'm sick of being my- slaves. I'm sick of being gangsters. <laughs> I'm sick of the magical Negro. I'm sick of the magical Negro. Yeah. Yes, like, that's okay. All right. All right. Yes. Let's, 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 let's speak on the magical Negro. For those yeah. that don't know what the magical Negro is, essentially in cinema in the U.S., uh, the magical Negro is a supporting stock character who kind of comes to the aid of white protagonists <laughs> in a film. Magical Negro characters who often possess special insight or mystical powers. They have this long tradition in American cinema of being there right when you can because ultimately we'll recognize you. I almost said it. <laughs> I almost said it! <laughs> oh my gosh. Man, you were oh, close. Man. I was so close. <laughs> Would it be a curse word? Oh man, um... What's some What's some of your favorite magical Negroes? Uh, Green Mile. Um. <laughs> yeah, 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 R.I.P. to Michael Clark Duncan. Shawshank. Um, would you? So would you consider um, Morgan Freeman as a magical Negro? I would, because he's a magical Negro in real life. But <laughs> <laughs> in the movie, he like Andy wouldn't have Andy wouldn't have survived without Red. Period. Like. Red was who got Red was even the one who got him the tools to get him out of prison. Sorry, spoiler alert for people who haven't seen Shawshank. Also, if you people are listening, go see freaking Shawshank. Um, but like it's it's one of those movies where it's like now don't get me wrong, in my personal opinion, Morgan Freeman was the star of that movie. Period. Like he was not a supporting actor, he was the star. However, from a script perspective, he was not. So it's really just it's black supporting character again. And almost every single action that happens in that movie, with the exception of how he gets into prison and how and after he gets out, is all because of Red, period. So he is magic. He gets you things like a birthday cake filled with tools and a pretty picture of a naked lady to hang on your wall. That's what Red does. He's magic. My thing is, for for me, the the most noble Nazarene, the one that I have the most problem with is John Coffey from The Green Mile. Now, I will say that I did enjoy the film when I first watched it a couple of years ago. I mean, it's a great it's a great story. I love I'm a sucker for Stephen King films, so of course I'm going to love those aspects. But that's a Stephen King film. Yeah, yeah. A Stephen King book. Yes. Oh. oh. So I haven't seen it. <laughs> it's on the list okay it's i have a lengthy list the amount of silence on this phone call it just i feel like i've been stabbed three times don't you heavy breathe at me sorry yeah, the, Colette, continue. 
oh no, you're good. Like the most frustrating aspect about the magical nature archetype is that he's only there to be of service to other white characters. White characters don't really care about his inner desires, his dreams, his feelings or anything like that. All he is is like, hey, I need you to come up here. I need you to do something for me. I need you to work your magic. I need you to fix this bad situation for me. And then, you know, if you do that, then maybe I'll call you again. And then maybe by the end of the film, I actually will grow to love you. And then something bad will happen to you. And then I'll, I'll cry. And it's like, man, I, I really miss old Big John and stuff like that. What well, for Green Mao, there's a scene in that film where he's, um, well, essentially, I'm going, I'm about to maybe spoil Green Mile a little bit, but John Coffey's in jail because, um, he was, he was said that he was guilty of killing two white girls. And this is back set in the thirties and forties. This is a very troubling time for racism. I'm surprised that he wasn't like taken somewhere in Lynch, but he's in prison and he's waiting on death row. So eventually Tom Hanks is the prison guard and he's able, he ends up finding a kinship with this guy because he's helping him because he has like a somewhat of a uh, problem with his um urinary tract. And so he's helping him out. He's sucking out the disease for him. He ends up helping out other char- white characters that are having problems with disease. He ends up getting rid of the big bad that's in the film. And then towards the end of the film, before his execution, they take him and he says, I want to see a movie. And so they they set him in front of the screen in somewhere part of the jail. He's watching this film with Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers on there. And it's like, I'm in heaven. Like that song is playing and the people are dancing. And he literally says these two, he says these lines. He's like, man, they look like white angels, white angels in heaven. I literally just kind of like, I turned, I paused the movie and walked out of the room because it was just so disgusting the way that it just came off and sounded. It, it just made, it almost made me just like one did not even finish it because Really magical Negroes. It's like you have to be exceptional to be accepted in a film. You can't just be a normal black person. You can't just be a guy who's like working in a restaurant or anything like that, trying to make ends meet, taking care of your kids and doing anything like that. No, you have to do something really, really good to have prominent notice in a film. And the thing is for me is that before we can really talk about black cinema becoming more and more expansive and prevalent, we have to get rid of the notion that Unless black people are doing something spectacular, unless they're hitting jump shots, slamming, slamming down things, unless they're Black Panther or a superhero, we have to stop treating we have to start treating us or having the studios treat us as just these little caricatures. Like there's a time there there can be stories about a guy who's just a normal guy who's living life. Like we see about uh, almost any coming of age drama. There's not a lot of black coming of age dramas that we see. You know, the most noble one. Yeah, the, most of the ones that we've seen are from like, you know, A24, like Lady Bird, you know, and Moonlight was the closest one we got into, but I wouldn't really say it's a coming, coming of age drama like Lady Bird is. And the aspect of the magical needle is just troubling. And anytime I see a film that has a black person that looks like he's about to do some powers, I immediately am saying that's not on my list. <laughs> so you said you were talking about the Green Mile or Green Book? Cause, Green Mile. No, Green okay. Mile. Okay, well oh, then trash? I'll talk you about... Mean, you mean trash? I, Those are so very different films. No, I'll talk about the Green Book because Don Shirley was exactly 
that magical negro as well like nobody wait he was a magical negro too yes he nobody cares. I, I looked it up and he is uh, he's on this list i just looked up a quick list of what magical negroes in film are. i'm saying though nobody cared about what he was really going through nobody cared about what he, the drama that happened with him after all of those traumatic events it was all centered for the white main character and that was it um and let's go through a couple other ones uh anthony mackie's character in the adjustment bureau Literally, Magical Negro, Bagger Vance, Will Smith, Magical Negro, well, that's like the, the, Morpheus, Bagger Vance, like Oracle. the classic. I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is, yeah. But Morpheus, the Oracle, uh, um, the, uh, Will be Goldberg uh, and Ghost, uh, uh yeah. It, well, yeah, no, yeah. Will be Goldberg and Ghost. Honestly, I was thinking about it. Yo, was more. I mean, so there's some actors that because they've been around for a long time, they had. I want to say they had to. They chose to take roles. Because that was the only ones that were available. Right. Samuel L. Jackson, Morgan Freeman, you know, Larry Fishburne. And like Morgan Freeman, he's played a lot of magical Negroes. And it just dawned on me as you're talking about it. Was Morgan Freeman a magical Negro in Bruce Almighty? Did they make uh, guys yes. a magical yes. Negro? Yes. 100%. Yes. 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 I mean, it, it, I mean <laughs> they, technically, it, that's literally a magical Negro. Right. So, again, it, it, wasn't, yeah. it wasn't about him. It wasn't about God. It, it was wasn't about, about Morgan God Freeman. God can service this white man. All about him. So yes. And, I think uh, the most interesting one yeah. on this list that I that I didn't even think about because he is technically like a, a smaller character. I've talked about this movie before. I absolutely love the movie Dogma. But Chris Rock's character in Dogma, he plays a character called Rufus. He's the lost yeah. apostle. Yeah. And uh, like, if you have listeners, if you haven't seen Dogma. Well, I don't know. There, there's a certain subset. It's one of Kevin's. There's a certain subset of listeners for feel and film that probably will not like it. However, <laughs> so I will just I will preface it with read the description of the film first, and if you think you might enjoy it, then watch it. I personally find it hilarious, and I, I think and it's fiction. such a good movie. But yeah, they listed like I'm looking at this list, and it's. There are things that I didn't even think about. Like I never saw Morpheus as the magical Negro, but now that I think about it, completely understand it because he's there purely for the purpose of supporting Neo. Like it's just going through this list. It's just it's a lot of things. Like Ruby Rod from Fifth, Fifth Element. Yep. Mm. So I'll say this: I, I think sometimes are sometimes like the conversation around this, and I, and I think this is where some folks can check out of like kind of confronting these type of issues. Well, nobody's doing this on purpose, right? But these are the subconscious things that we're taught and have been, we've been socialized to accept. And when you really look deeper and it's starting to become more and more apparent, that's where you really got to kind of check yourself. So like having this conversation, the hope isn't to like assess blame, like, yo, this is your fault. No. You created these yeah. stigmas and tropes. Yeah. But it's understanding that it exists, right? And, and, and yeah. what we can do to combat things. Like and that's this. that's a great point. This is not something. No one. I don't think we blamed anyone for anything, as no. we only pointed to examples of something that has become a systemic pattern in Hollywood. So, for example, another trope that I think kind of hurts, and it's not just in black cinema per se, but in cinema is the classic white savior trope. That is something that has consistently been problematic because on some occasions it's so intentional because of certain guilt that happens from, you know, the creators. So, for example, I remember... 
Hidden Figures. Um, phenomenal story. Beautiful story of these phenomenal black women, you know, mathematicians and NASA and all of that good stuff. And they just, what a great I mean, a, a phenomenal cast. And Kevin Costner's character, the director admits, fabricated a whole bunch of these quote unquote social justice moves you know, that he did ripping down the sign for colors only and stuff like that all because, well, we don't want to make white people look too bad. It was the pre 1960s. Yeah. He had to make him yeah. more likable as a character, it, but it's the, like, goal, yeah. the, the goal of the movie was to not see, it to is like literally him. the definition of whitewashing in yeah. that case. And, and those things, again, it's not to assess blame. It's merely pointing out a issue that continuously reinforces societal ideals about black people or it uh i would say almost nullifies the reality outside of the movie you know especially when you distort historical facts like that you know the whole scene even in that movie i mean that movie kind of bothers me the more you learn about what really happened you know about like that one scene where they were like oh yeah they let her in the main control room to help no they didn't she stayed outside she She was not and i'm sitting here like why didn't you show that Keep it 100. Show that it's okay you know for people to be angry. Like it's that's fine. just it. Is they're trying to avoid people being angry. But then that brings up a better point. So how do you feel about? Because I mean, technically, I guess it isn't a trope. But how do you feel about black people being portrayed historically? So I mean, historically, we were slaves. Historically, we were mammies. We were nannies and house cleaners and things like that. And I think back to movies like The Help. Okay, The Help has a lead character that is white, yes. And I I personally, I like the book. I like the movie. I thought it was entertaining and served its purpose. Alice and Janney, I'll love her till the end of my day. My biggest concern is you have a bunch of black women being sassy black women. And aside from one of them who bakes excrement into a pie, like, in my opinion, every other woman would have been fired for any amount of sassiness that they portrayed in that film, period. Like that they just did not mess around with that stuff back then. And so there, there are times where I'm like, I I think like I, I tried to watch 12 years a slave and I wasn't in a good place when I first tried to watch it. And it just, it started to make me really upset. So I haven't gone back, but I have heard that it's a better portrayal because it, it, it is more historically accurate as far as some of the brutality that was endured. But again, I had, how do you feel about tropes that are whitewashed? But also my biggest concern with tropes is that it's like what Kala said. Why are we not just also being portrayed as the everyday people that we are? And I think that was always my problem is, and I, I'm the first to admit it, my experience is going to be completely different than all three of you. The best part about this whole podcast is that all four of us are different shades of brown. Like, mm-hmm. at, we're like a beautiful, yeah. like a beautiful <laughs> cup, like several cups of coffee, adding more milk as we go. Like, absolutely love that about us because we all represent a completely different experience in America. I have always joked that I'm ethnically ambiguous. You could drop me almost anywhere around the world and somebody would guess that I'm from a completely different place. I get anything from Puerto Rican to Samoan. So for me, my experience growing up was, and still to this day, you don't see biracial people on television. Until recently, I didn't see families that looked like mine. I didn't see families that had a dynamic of a black dad and a white mom. I very rarely even saw a black mom and a white dad, but sh- shockingly, that's ah, way okay. more. 
You, That's you, way you, more. You, you almost had me for a second. No, no, no. I'll see. I'll see. Something. I'll see it with a white man. One hundred percent. No, no, no. Mm-hmm. I will see it with a white man. I yeah, very, yeah. very rarely see it with a black man. And it's very interesting because, again, man is head of the household in a lot of these movies. It's the still the seat of power. They have no problem throwing a little chocolate swirl into that seat of power, but not the other way around. And so for me, that representation and those tropes, I had always – and I, I'm still reckoning with some of those things. Like I have wanted to get braids in my hair lately, and I'm worried like whether or not I can pull them off. Do I actually own that part of that culture? So when we see these tropes played out, and granted the world is getting far more multicultural as we go on, which is great. It's beautiful. How do we feel about those tropes that are being portrayed and they're accurate? So how do we feel about movies that – are actually showing us parts of our culture, whether it be the rap, whether it be, in my opinion, the ridiculously hydraulic cars. I grew up in Southern California. That stuff, ooh, I almost cur- <laughs> part of our culture. I'm just ready to see movies where we're just people. Yo, let me let me yeah. just jump in there real quick. I think I'm very okay with the fact that um we all we come obviously in so many different walks of life. And yes, I 100% welcome the notion of just like showing us in a normal, realistic view. That's one of the reasons why I really, really loved Queen and Slim, because it just felt so different. You can have your opinions about like the, the, the subcontext with the plot and all that. But I was just sitting here like I felt every character here was real. Like I, I felt like I almost know somewhere somebody in this movie at some point in time and that's awesome and and the one thing i want to say though the reason why these tropes are so problematic is because we don't have enough of the counter it's not to say that in look for the lack of a better word uh white movies or movies with white yeah they have balance there are movies that have white people that are portrayed as crackheads and gangsters and whatever Mm -hmm. and then there are other ones that are shown as really stand-up families and great parents or great civil servants or whatever and it's a matter of balance if you don't have balance and all we see is the predominant you know negative stuff it's frustrating it's really really draining because again these movies they do more than just entertain you they inform people unfortunately as well so if you want to give me a, a slave movie sure harriet is fine Give me a movie about Robert Smalls. If you don't know who Robert Smalls is, I highly implore that you go look him up. Robert Smalls, let me actually get this. uh, uh, I don't think I have the image here for you. But Robert Smalls was a superhero (laughs) of slaves, if you want to say that. I mean, this man was born a slave. He, uh, um, like, uh, what did he do? He, he stole a Confederate military ship. He disguised himself as a captain. He used a secret I code book for and, that and hand signals. Years. You know what I'm yes. saying? He, he rescued more slaves he, and families. He escaped for his freedom. Then he came back and worked as a military advisor in the Union. He bought a house. This man ran for Congress and won and lived happily ever after. Hollywood, give me that movie. Give me that movie. That's, if you if you have to give me a slave movie, you can give me Robert Smalls. I'm okay with that. So just give us some balance. That That's all we ask. Built in. That's all yeah. we ever. Everything I just said was the movie. Yeah, I, I could see that movie 
That's literally just, your review of the movie right now. We it. just recorded E-Man's review of this future film. Why did well, you like, I mean, of, you could do something like Booker T. Washington. Like, sure. we have so yes. many amazing people in our lives except for Martin Luther. Like, there are so many people besides Malcolm X, Martin Luther King. Like, yeah. those, I, I mean, you could even say that those are tropes because those are easy wins for filmmakers to do. Exactly. And they just have to tweak it just enough to be like, ooh, it's MLK, but with the twist. Like, right. it's not the same story. But it's MLK, like, if you're going to do yeah. MLK, then how about you do MLK from the CIA perspective? Right. From the conspiracy theory perspective that we actually have binding documents that prove the U.S. government assassinated Martin Luther King. Like, if you want to do a twist, how about the twist of the truth? Or how about well, the we, truth? Oh, now go ahead, Kalesh, brother. Or how, uh, I think the most frustrating thing is, is that we're continuing to get from Hollywood the same film on the same famous black subjects that we've seen for many of our lives. Like we're, of course we're going to keep getting Martin Luther King films. We're going to keep getting Malcolm X films. We're going to keep getting all these famous black figures that are are hung up on the wall and taught during the one month of black history month. What about we get a film about Bass Reeves, who was like a really, like a really one of the first true cowboys in the Midwest. Like you always hear about the Marlboro man and all these guys and everything about wire herb or, you know, tombstone and things like that. But what about Bass Reeves? I mean, he was a black cowboy. That would be an interesting story. Or how about we get Garrett Morgan, the guy who created the traffic light. How about we broaden our, um, broaden our worldview to just these, like the most obvious black members. How about we tell the unsung black stories? You know, I've heard over the past that many like black Hollywood directors, like Spike Lee, you know, they have tried to get like some of these stories off the ground. Like Spike Lee wanted to actually do a film about the LA riots, you know, back in, in, um, 90, 91, 92. He wanted to do that film, but he can never get the funding for it. And it's and I wonder if it's just like, a play as to where maybe the studios are feeling like these movies won't make any money or is it because like the studios don't think that there's any commercial commercial viability behind this or well Kales, that's exactly it that's but it. So that, that is let it me, let me, let me that, play devil's isn't advocate that why tyler perry created his studio was to yep. uplift these black projects and he has the money behind them to be able to do that like i mean and don't get me wrong i get like the people that you're naming are fantastic but mm-hmm. it's like also like i don't get me wrong. She's amazing. I, just, I don't want to see Harriet Tubman's story for like the 50 billionth time. We going to talk about Tyler Perry? Me neither. No. We're going to save episode. Tyler Perry. Okay. We're going to save Tyler Perry for the next episode. Rosetta yeah. invented <laughs> rock and roll and we, nobody ever talks about her because Elvis stole everything from her. We talk about these so black t- rock and roll legends and they're all men, but Rosetta Thorpe literally yeah. invented rock and roll and was Let's touring, playing it. electric mm. guitar. And it's like we we see these same things over and over again. We have a rich history that extends beyond history books because let's be real, American history books don't tell you actual American history. So it, it requires people to actually they tell you a step version outside. of American history. Yeah, they tell you the white perspective mm-hmm. of this country's history. And don't get me wrong, those tough. things happen. Yeah. But the most proud moment that I had in twenty I think it was twenty nineteen was the well, okay, a version of those events happened. I was about to say. I know. I know. Don't let me jump in with the facts. I come in with the facts. Untold history. My the thing that I absolutely love with that, and I was just talking to somebody about this the other day, is that there are a lot of TV shows that, whether you do a historical fiction twist or not, but you portray an actual event that people are like, "There's no way that really happened," and then they Google it and realize 
It did. Oh, yeah, we were talking about The Crown. We were talking about The Crown, and then I had mentioned what had happened in Watchmen because Google talked mm-hmm. about how after that after that first episode launched, Black Wall Street and Tulsa Massacre were the two most Google-searched items for the next week. So mm-hmm. people learned about the massacre of black families in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and the fact that we had created a community that was the richest community in, like, the continental U.S., and the government felt threatened, so they bombed everything and burned it. And everybody was like, the government would never do that. And we're all, all the black people are looking at them like, Y'all can't Silly see my people. face. Listen, listen to this podcast. Y'all can't see my face, but I think you can imagine with the sound of. <laughs> but like, it's just like that's just like I don't want to see the same. It is, and those movies can make tough. money. They can. And so this is the thing. They can. Those movies, they can, right? And I, you know, I, I've I, I spent time in Hollywood working around folks who have a modicum of power. I would love to say that we have the power. And the thing is that we do, in a lot of respects that we do. In an ideal world, we shouldn't have to do the things that we have to do to try to like fight for like a seat at the table. Like the table should be inclusive for everyone. Our stories should be told, it shouldn't be hidden, but we we have to understand the complex history of America is America takes things, right? And we've had things taken from us. Our stories have been taken from us. Our history, our culture has been taken and co-opted. And, you know, as a critic, I do look at both the art and the commerce. Yes, these stories can make money. And these stories deserve to be told because those are the type of stories that will break the tropes that we really dislike seeing on screen. The tough part is, is that... The folks that have the money and the power and the access, they don't mind that. The idea of doing that is great, but it has to be their way. And that's the part that's really, really tough. Um, as I'm watching this documentary, decades, there's folks that are essentially that are waking up like, you know what? We really should like offer more opportunity, but we want to do it like in our way. Like it's got to be our version of the opportunity. And that's the part that's really frustrating because there's always this disingenuous kind of like, here, why don't you take this? Like, Hey, we gave you something. It's like a, like, like it's like have- a, a, it's a, it's a participation trophy. It's, it's a, what, what's the word I'm looking for? It's like, um, and uh, it's uh, a Capri Sun, you know, Hey, don't knock Capri, Capri Sun. Sun. I go ham on Capri Sun. Toss a little vodka in there, and it's awesome. Oh, okay, all right. <laughs> no, no, but I, but I, I, feel, I feel exactly what you mean, and it, and it's and it's tough. And I mean, we've watched Constellation Five. That's the word I was Yeah, Constellation. And we've watched thousands of films, and like, as you get older, you you become more hip to like the tropes and stuff like that. Man, like, what's the way to combat it? Like, if I had the opportunity, how would I? How would I fix it, right? Like, how do I eliminate the magical Negro? And, and it, I think there's there are deep-seated things that we have to battle, right, to, like, really kind of, like, dig at it. And it's tough. And I don't think there's any right way to solve it. But I think that there has to be a genuine urge to want to solve it. All right. Not yeah. that we're going to get the right way, but there has to be, like, yo, I want to solve it. Hey, I've never heard – like there's a lot of folks that may be hearing this podcast right now that have never heard the term magical Negro. Yeah. Like, oh, that's some stuff that those guys made up. <laughs> Legitimately, Yo. 
if you if if you look at films and you understand the similarities of how these tropes play out and ultimately like how they teach you to perceive a film, mm-hmm. right? Because you'll say like, wow, you know, there's some. There, I've I've seen some critics say, man, this film was missing something, right? There was a character that just didn't seem to add enough like help. Oh, what you're describing is that this movie didn't have a magical Negro to prop up the protagonist. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. So it's 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 one of those things we have to take like a, a health check on how we're digesting cinema and really think. And it, it and it doesn't have to always get combative, right? It's it's gonna get uncomfortable. Yo, take a take a race, culture, and sociology sociology class in college. That'll get you really really uncomfortable. All right, you gonna, you're gonna learn some stuff. I tell everybody, if you really want to get woke. Go take sociology in college. I promise you. But it's okay. You will come out a oh, yeah. person. Uncomfortable. Yes, it is. Uncomfortability brings out, like, really something great. It brings out growth. Like, I love being challenged. Absolutely. Growth and, and I never want to be in a place where I'm... I never want to be at a, po- a moment in my life where I feel like, oh, I'm good. I don't need to learn anything else. Bump that. No. Challenge me. I want to be awake. Yo, I- I'm so glad I'm not the person I was 10 years ago. Yeah. So happy. All like, of us can say like, that. Imagine. Yeah. And by the way, and, and, all those tropes you're talking about, we're only talking about the movie tropes. These things happen in television as well. And, it's, and the thing is, I think they're, they're perpetuated TV. more because they are. TV's TV, more accessible. Yeah. Oh, they, 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 and, they, they really and I, I would encourage people to just look, literally, just Google black tropes. And that's just for black people. That's not Hispanic or Latina or Latino tropes or women, or women tropes. Or women. There are yeah. things that happen consistently as a pattern. Sometimes it's intentional. Sometimes it's coincidental. I don't know if you want to do a chicken and egg type of uh, argument it's, about it. it but the yeah. fact is the pattern is there. It happens. And all we're trying to do is just bring that to light so you can kind of understand where we're coming from. Because if you don't know the pattern, if you can't recognize the pattern, you're not going to think twice about it. And that's all we're asking at the end of the day. Just think twice about this and who it affects and what that means for that person or that group or whatever moving forward. Because like bringing that back to to, that self-awareness, that interest. Bringing it back to like where this conversation you spawn from, from talking about birds of prey, right? Yeah. All these things happen and end up and it forms the way that we think of cinema. So for that ignorant person that makes a tweet that says, yo, I think that Birds of Prey is going to bomb because these women aren't sexy. Like what Aaron said, well, why do you think that they should be sexy? Let's dissect that. Let's dig deeper. Or just because oh, they're not sexy to you doesn't mean they're not sexy to somebody else. Correct. Uh, why are you uh, why does my opinion? Hey. Yeah, why does my hey, opinion yeah. feel like I, like if it's not doing it for me, then I need to explain to the world, this is going to bomb because you <laughs> all don't think like, me. I'm just gonna say Journey as Black Canary was very nice. I was very I'm I'm very I'm very um I'm very pleased by that by the yes. appearance of said person in this uh, film. Uh, she yeah. brought me she, great viewing pleasure yeah. in a cinematic. Oh, way. let me tell you something. Boy, boys, I've, had, I've had a crush on Journey Smollett. Me too. I'm not gonna recognize the bell part since Full House. Uh, my hey, we was the same Friday age, night, so night, I was <laughs> Look, Aaron's young behind. is like Full House. What show? You guys that? are so mad. Come on, so I grew up with Full House. I grew up with Full House. I grew up with, <clears throat> excuse me, like I, of course DJ and all the Tanners and all them and 
I no, shush, I'm almost thirty. I just look like a twelve year old. It's not my um, fault. Can I, I say I've never seen Full House? That's fine. You're not missing much. Uh, yeah, I only know about John Stamos and the Kate and Ashley Kate and Olsen. That's all I know. <laughs> Ashley Kate and Olsen. Ashley Kate and Olsen. Yeah, uh, yeah, the three, them triplets, bro. Yeah, them triplets. Look, if you're going to watch something, watch Family Matters instead. There you I go. Family Now that, that to me, that was like, if you, like, and I mean, we'll have to have a separate episode to talk about TV because I think that would be fantastic if we talked about things like Family Matters and then, and then, and then switch that and talk about today, we could talk about Blackish and talk about the differences between the representation of black families over time because obviously Blackish is a far more modern take and you get, a lot of insight into I I started the show and it's still being produced so I of course I had to stop watching it. Um but it's it it gives a lot more insight into how black people are processing a lot of the modern day tropes that are put on us out in the real world. And so I think it would be a really good dynamic if at some point we talked about those TV things or just not even tropes but just discussions around black family dynamics and how they're shown in film and television. Free free tip. Free tip for anyone listening. If you ever wanted any insight in black perspective blackish should be required viewing 100%. like if you if i'm serious like if you live in the backwoods of wyoming or whatever and there isn't a black person or a person of color within a hundred mile radius just watch blackish i i implore you to just watch even blackish. as a black very, person very with a black family i still learned a lot from black same here so there are so many different dynamics and within yeah. our diaspora. But I remember the first clip that I ever saw of Blackish, somebody had posted it, I think on Facebook or something like that. And I had never watched the show before. And it was a speech that Anthony, his character was giving about how trying to raise your children in a world where they have to potentially fear for their life going out in like in the streets. And he's talking about President Obama's Ooh. election. Don't ruin it. Don't ruin it. Cause that's well, a good I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say, I'm that's not gonna, a good but like when he's trying scene. to convince to his yes. wife, like, like you, like thinking that they were gonna take that moment away from us, almost every single one of us that, that are old enough to remember felt something oh. on a cellular level because I remember feeling like I was super anxious whenever he was in that car ride and I didn't oh. understand why. And then I watched oh. that clip mm-hmm. and I was like, Oh my gosh, this put into words what I was feeling. And I didn't, I didn't fully grasp that because I wasn't aware of that part of my subconscious quite yet. I hadn't, I hadn't become woke, so to speak. So it's like they're like blackish is so powerful and so moving and they discuss mental health. They discuss raising children in today's world. Like please, please watch it. Like just, I'm I'm going to take my own advice and watch it. I think, I think we found a show uh, or just. Art and a medium, and, th- and this particular show has found a way to be informational, to be entertaining, to tackle the hard stuff to talk about in a way that makes it palatable and digestible for a lot of audiences, especially in like th- this theme of like really tackling the tropes in in in, in cinema, black cinema, and, and and things of that nature. Blackish has done it in a way that if it was able to translate somehow into film, could be really, really incredible. Could be really, really incredible. I don't know how, the, like, what that would look like. You know, I really, really don't. But I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that there is a storyteller out there that could say, you know what, they found a way that works, and 
I'm really I, there. There needs to be more. There needs to be more stories like Blackish being told. And and, so, and uh, please stop killing us in horror movies. We don't appreciate it. Nine <laughs> yeah, times out of ten, we can make it to the end. First of all, we shouldn't even be in the movies because mm-hmm. more likely than not, we're like we're not messing with that. Y'all want to go investigate and split up <laughs> that way. Okay, so, so we let's went, keep it real. One hundred. We, we don't. Went, go, Midsummer. I'm looking at you. We're not going <laughs> to go hang out with these crazy folks. I don't care how bad it gets. What research project? Hey, he was trying to. He man, was trying look, to get an A. Man, look. Man, he was look. To we, we were. He we turned were all in. his internal radars off. We went to see the gentleman and some trailer came up for some new creepy doll movie, you know, like people like to make. Oh, yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, it wasn't Annabelle. I like he literally pulled it out of the ground. And I was like, I looked at my boyfriend. I was like, mm-mm, mm-mm. and he's like, what? And I was like, why people do that? We don't do that. I was like, he looked at me and he was just like, what? And I was just like, you can blame your family. Don't blame mine. I was just like, if our kid ever found a doll in the woods and brought it home, that stuff would be right in the fireplace. I'd light it myself. We don't mess with that. And he's Look, like, what do you mean? I was like, I don't want that evil in my house. I don't fine. care. If, if, if you, if the magical Negro trope were ever true, it was, it is our sixth sense to just know evil. And be away from that. Just just get away from it. That's our ancestors in yeah. us telling us back from Africa, don't mess you. with that. It's that's why I love, not for you, that's fam. That's not for you. Out, you know, because get yeah. out actually finally had us in the lead character as a like an intelligent black dude. You can see that throughout the whole film. Like now, Aaron, have you done your homework and seen Get Out yet? Oh. I'm slowly disappearing Hello. from the camera. Uh, Aaron, Aaron pulled the Homer uh, Simpson, just faded out. Uh, wow. <laughs> Well, 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 you see that slow out. fade that yeah. took all of my ab muscles to do that slowly. I was like, <laughs> but yeah, I'm you saw. It. I, I bought like, it. I have out. it. I just yeah. need to actually sit down to watch it. Yeah, but Get Out is actually like one of the best portrayals of a black person in a horror film that I've ever seen because you see throughout the film that Chris not only is starting to come is starting to come to grips with what could be going on, his friend is also telling him throughout the whole film, "Hey man, you need to watch out for these people. You need to like get out. You need to like do this and that." And that's like the first like inclination that I've ever had of a black character actually not just being the first victim in a horror film because using that's their brain. Yeah, using your brain, using common sense that they take away from us when we're in, whenever in a horror film for some reason. <laughs> I think that nah, we're definitely. all just craving That's... more, whether it be it from a female perspective, from a male perspective, mm-hmm. from a black perspective. I think we're all just craving more accurate representation of what an actual like you you can in my opinion you can always tell when a non-person of color directed or produced a film and it stars people of color and to me that's a problem i shouldn't be able to tell the difference in your art because i know that you either didn't have a specific audience that you tested this material with that was a diverse group like goodness knows how many things have hit marketing platforms for sales and we were like this tells me you had no women and no black people on your entire marketing team or your test audience because this stuff would have never made it if you had just one but i think for me i just i crave a more or even in the like even in birds of prey handing a woman a hair tie in the middle of a massive fight scene okay nobody's saying it has to literally be placed in reality but as a woman if i see somebody with their hair down you know how many strangers i've handed hair ties over my entire life 
I buy my boyfriend <laughs> is constantly picking up bobby pins off the floor and is like, where did this come from? And I'm like, heck, if I know uh, our imaginary dog could have carried it around the entire house. Like those things are just things that we give away. We give away because we see people with long hair in need. We want more of those moments that ground us in who we are as and that can make a film special. 100%. That could be a make or break mm-hmm. moment. Like I said, I didn't want to see Birds of Prey. And then I saw that gif. <laughs> and now I want to. And so I think yeah, the, but see, like, the whole episode is just that... us talking about our craving for a more realistic representation of who we are as people, people with a broader view of our culture, not just the small, small pieces that they've chosen to show over the last 50 to 100 years. That's all I would like. Yeah, like, give me a film like Love Jones. Show my dude doing poetry or something like that in a club, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And I I think, I think there's a shift. There's a shift in Hollywood, and I I can tell. Maybe it's not happening, like, with the intensity or, like, the speed that we want, right? But I think that there is a shift. And, you know, so far in 2020... Um, like, like one coming out on Valentine's Day next week is the photograph with Issa Rae and with Lakeith Stanfield. And that's a film that in the trailer, you know what I love? It's not selling me on their blackness, right? It's just two people that are experiencing love and they just so happen to be black. Like that gets me very, very excited, right? And I think you could tell that the lens from which that story is being told feels authentic. We're craving authenticity. We're craving diversity, but we want it organically and we want it intentionally as well. We don't want to be pandered to. We don't want to feel like we're getting a constellation or like the scraps or the sanitized version of what Hollywood wants. Hollywood is changing because we're demanding it to change. We're lifting our voices to inspire that change. Myself, Aaron, Kales, Eman, and we hope that you guys are going to want that change too. Um, this is a great conversation. Like, I love how organically this kind of went about. <laughs> this is really, really This dope. is it, guys. This is it's that, it. that, it's this, that fire. That fire. This really, really <laughs> is. And we want to know that you guys are enjoying the conversation as well. Be a part of it. Please get at us on all our socials, at Feel and Film Socials. But to know where to get those socials, you'll get the info inside the episode. But you'll hear it from our lips right now. The Queen of the Pod. Miss Aaron, where can folks find you? I love it when y'all call me queen. I feel so special. Y'all can find me on Instagram, essentially Aaron. Name is spelled redonkulously, E-R-Y-N-N-E. You can find me under Aaron underscore Hundley, pretty much anywhere else. Um, like Kobe said, my biggest thing is we want to make sure y'all are hearing what you want to hear. So please let us know if you have any feedback or if you guys have things that you specifically want us to cover. We'd love to make some episodes specifically for our listeners. So hit us up, social media, any single one of us. Kalos. Yeah, you can find me um, on Instagram and Twitter under the alias Black Nerd Magic. And you can find me on Facebook under Coles Davis, and it's not spelled with a K, it's a C. So many people have, like, tried to spell my name with a K-A-L instead of C-A-L, so it gets kind of redundant. But yeah, like Aaron said, like, you know, if any of y'all want to reach out, give us some feedback, give us some new topics, or just tell us that we're doing a good job, go ahead and do that. We're open, we're friendly, and overall, we are film fanatics. Well, you guys could definitely uh, feel free to let us know what you were thinking. Um... I'm actually here to argue, so I have the time. Uh, whenever you want, if it's movie related, I'm with it. 
I've got the energy and I have smoke. So with that being said, you can find me, E-Man, at E-Man's Movie Reviews on almost every social media platform. Uh, you could definitely come and follow me on Instagram. It's at E-Man's Reviews. Um, YouTube, E-Man's Movie Reviews. Come and check out the latest Black Widow crazy theory, which is... It was it's crazy. It's so crazy, it actually made sense. It's that crazy. But anyway, uh, Facebook is always <laughs> popping, breaking news, trailers, memes, all that good, fun stuff. E-Man, just like He-Man without the H. Come at me. Awesome. And yo, 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 it is your boy, Kobe Mack. You can follow me on all the socials at Kobe told me on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm on Facebook at Kobe Mack. This is Feelin' Film Black Label. Thanks so much for spending time with us at the round table. And until next time, keep feeling film. Peace.